Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Welcome back to our study of the gospel according to Matthew. In this episode, we will be discussing Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. So we finished eight chapters of Matthew, and uh, so far we've learned a lot about Christology, that is, who Jesus is, and we've learned a lot about the kinds of people that Jesus has come to save and how he saves them. Uh, And we've also learned a lot about discipleship. Now, we're here in the middle of chapter 9. There are three sets of um, stories. Each one has uh, three miracle stories in their group. And each set of three stories finishes with a little excursus or addendum about discipleship. Now, when you hear the word discipleship, I wonder what comes to your mind. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, for a lot of people... uh, Something about work comes to their mind. They think about working hard for the Lord. Other people might think about sacrifice. I mean, after all, a disciple, uh, the disciple's life is a hard life, one that's uh, about carrying your cross and following Christ. A person might think about a disciple as someone who learns and sits at the feet of Jesus and studies what he has to say. Now, all of those are great concepts of what it means to be a disciple, and uh, those are images that we can get from the Gospel of Matthew uh, itself. But this passage presents something else when it comes to what should come to our minds when we think about what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who eats with Jesus, and that's an aspect of being a disciple that often gets neglected. One of the primary features of being a disciple is someone who has fellowship with the Lord Jesus himself. So as I read through this text, uh, 9 through 17, keep your eye out for that theme. It should really pop as, as I read our text. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skin bursts, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. This passage can be broken up into uh, two major sections. The first one is the call of Matthew, and that goes uh, from 9 all the way through verse 13. 
uh, here the idea of fellowship with Jesus is uh, prominent. Uh, it includes sinful people, tax collectors, uh, the people that others look down on. But yet, although Jesus's idea of fellowship is come as you are, it is not leave as you are. Eating with Jesus is like going to the doctor. It does something to you. It changes you from being sick to being healthy. Now, there are a couple background ideas which are important if we're going to understand this passage. Um, One of the most important ones is the significance of eating with someone. Now, if... uh, if a man were to go to a woman and ask him out, ask her out to uh, to go get a meal, that says something in our culture. Uh, it's more than just let's fill our bellies. You're inviting that person into a certain circle of fellowship, and also in in many contexts today, to invite someone over into your home and actually eat with that person is usually a festive occasion, and you're saying I want to become friends with you. And in the same way, in antiquity, in fact, even more so in antiquity, to eat with somebody is to really welcome them into your social circle. So Jesus here is eating with um, tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors, this is the second piece of background information that we need, are uh, looked down on in uh, the first century. In Matthew 21, 32, they will be connected with prostitutes. You might remember the um, famous prayer of the Pharisee in Luke 18, who prays standing by himself saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So these people were really looked down on in the first century. And one of the reasons is because they were seen as traitors. They were taking money from Israel and giving it to the enemies, like to the Romans. You can imagine, let's just change the scene a little bit and think about uh, an Israelite slave in Egypt who somehow took money from the slaves and gave it to the Egyptians. That sort of person would not be uh, looked upon favorably. But when Jesus comes to Matthew, the tax collector, and tradition says this is the one who wrote the gospel, uh, Jesus just says, follow me. And suddenly he gets up and just follows Jesus. And in this sense, he's kind of a paradigm of discipleship. This is the way it's supposed to work. You hear Jesus' call and you don't uh, say, let me think about it for a couple weeks. You respond immediately. And Jesus says that it's for this kind of person that he's come. He says, I did, did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, clearly Jesus is being ironic or even sarcastic in the way he's using the word righteous. If we've been following what he's been saying at all in the Gospel of Matthew about the Pharisees, Jesus is not intending to say that they actually are righteous, but rather something like they think they are righteous. Jesus has come for people who will acknowledge their need, repent, turn to him, and then as they fellowship with Jesus, they are transformed in that process. Now, Matthew, so far in this little story, has been following Mark, his source, pretty closely. However, he adds this bit of a quotation from Hosea 6.6. And in fact, the way that he introduces it is particularly interesting. He says, go and learn what it means. Now, 
Another interesting feature is that he will again quote Hosea 6.6 in Matthew 12.7. And again, Matthew is in all likelihood copying from Mark, and there too, it's an extra addition. So Matthew is really interested to point out that for Jesus, Hosea 6.6 was really important and that we need to go, if we're going to follow his direction to the Pharisees, we need to go and learn what that actually means. Now, later rabbis use Hosea 6.6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, uh, to use it in contrast to, this t- to the temple sacrifices. In other words, the temple had been destroyed. So what are the Jewish people supposed to do? Well, they would quote verses like this and say, if we, sh- if we um, do deeds of mercy and compassion, that will kind of like count as our sacrifices. But that's not the idea that Matthew gives it. Uh, he says he desires mercy and not sacrifice. Now, in the original context of Hosea 6, 6, it's not, oh, do this and not the other. This is a Hebrew expression for meaning uh, what's more important is mercy over against sacrifice. Uh, Notice that Hosea 6, 6 uh, reads like this, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than or more than burnt offerings. So in this context, uh, mercy is something like faithfulness, um, keeping our end of the bargain, doing what we're supposed to do, but doing it generously and graciously. But the whole context of Hosea is about how Israel has been faithless, has not kept up her end of the bargain. She's been like an adulterous wife. But what does God do with the people who are undeserving and should be judged? Well, he doesn't just give up on them. He can't just give up on them. He has to reach out to the quote-unquote sinners and seek their reconciliation. So what Jesus is doing in eating with people like Matthew is completely in line with what God does in books like Hosea. But I think that Matthew intends for us to see this mercy that is greater than the Old Testament also as a subtle reference here to Jesus Christ. His sacrifice is better than the sacrifices than what they were offering. Now, you don't get that unless you actually obey what Jesus said and go and look up Hosea 6 uh, in your Bible. So let me read from verse 1 of that chapter. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. And after two days, he will revive us. On the third day... He will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love, your your mercy, is the, the Hebrew word there, is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire mercy or love or steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, maybe you noticed earlier in this chapter, there's this really interesting expression about after three days, he will raise us up. Now, of course, in the original context, what he's talking about is how God will restore and raise up the nation of Israel. 
However, Matthew has already cited Hosea 11, a text that's very clearly about Israel, but has said this gets fulfilled in Jesus. You can learn about that in Matthew chapter 2, and we talked about it in an earlier episode. Similarly, I think what's going on here is that Hosea 6 is talking about the, ra- the, the restoration of Israel on the third day. But Matthew has already shown us that Jesus is the one who fulfills the role of Israel. He is the great uh, mercy of God that will restore Israel that is better than the sacrifices which they've already been, uh, which they already were offering. So that's enough about the, the call of Matthew. Let's, all, let's also briefly look at this fasting section. Here, the big idea is that uh, when it comes to fellowship with Jesus, he changes the old with the joy of the new, particularly the new kingdom. Here, Jesus connects uh, wedding imagery and drinking imagery. Uh, Back in antiquity, wedding feasts were really long occasions, big elaborate feasts that lasted something like seven days. I mean, compared to the people, the common person of antiquity, people today— in in my culture anyway, we eat like kings and queens. We can pick whatever we want to eat, and it's not uncommon to just make a really big dinner. Instead, in the times that we're considering, you usually would just eat kind of normal food, and big feasts were a really special occasion. Somebody would really drain their bank account, so to speak, in order to throw on a wedding feast. The idea that you just wouldn't eat or drink because you were on a fast would really be an insult to the family. That's why in John 2, when the family runs out of wine, this is a really serious offense. Uh, So the idea is that fasting isn't necessarily wrong, but it's that it would be wrong if it's at the wrong time. The problem with the Pharisees here in in this account is that they don't know what time it is. Uh, They don't know that it is the time of the new age, the kingdom. Now, this is really important because as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, it really sounds like Jesus is repeating and emphasizing the Old Testament law. But very clearly here, he's saying the Old Testament law is good. It goes in old wineskins. However, there's something new that has arrived, and it's important that we realize that the new time has come, and so we can expect for things to be a little bit different. Again, with the coming of the Lord Jesus, there is continuity, For example, we should be in line with things like Hosea 6.6. But there's also discontinuity. Some things are just different. We should be, um, the way that we relate to the purity laws in particular, or things like fasting, should just be different because of who we are uh, in relationship to the kingdom of God. At this time in salvation history, what God expects of us is discipleship with Jesus, fellowshipping, eating with him. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash